Let's turn to uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Tonight, um, as a further introduction to our our passage, I'm going to do something that's a little silly. I'm going to give you a a visual reminder of where we have come. So uh, my, my family in the morning, we're reading through James, and we've come up with these silly, goofy hand motions. And it, believe it or not, is very helpful. And you're all going to think, you too, you too cool for school ones. You're going to think like, David, this is so stupid. I don't need this. But it works. Exactly, it works. And I'll also say, rule number one of being a youth pastor, I don't care what you think. I don't care. <laughs> so there we go. We'll go with that. Here we go. So uh, we, let's start out the book of James by asking a question. Why should I rejoice in trials? That's the first question that James is answering. Why should I rejoice in trials? Ready? Because trials strengthen your faith. Right? Because trials strengthen your faith. That's why you should rejoice in trials. But only if you pray to God for wisdom. Remember that? Remember that from 1, 5 through 8? Pray to God for wisdom. Trials, trials strengthen your faith, but only if you pray to God for what? Wisdom. Because, you know why you should pray to God for wisdom in your trials? Because true wisdom, true wisdom enables from God through prayer, enables you to think eternally. Think eternally. So I'll just go over it again. Ready? Why should you rejoice in trials? Because trials, my friends, strengthen your faith. You remember that? Trials strengthen your faith. But only if you pray to God for wisdom. Because true wisdom enables you to think eternally. There you go. There you go. That's the book of James. Now tonight, we are in the final part about thinking eternally. True wisdom thinks eternally. Thinks eternally. Let's read James chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, but the brother of humble circumstances is to boast in his high position. And, the re- and then the rich man is to boast in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Notice here, notice here. Uh, James is now seeking to instruct us how true wisdom, true wisdom, remember that you pray for, true wisdom, true wisdom, thinks in humble and humbling circumstances. This is how true wisdom thinks in humbling circumstances. Notice, both rich and poor, both rich and the lowly will face humbling circumstances. And both of them are called by God to think in, a, hum, in, a, in a, a wise way. Remember, this comes right after the prayer for wisdom. You saw that, right? If anybody lacks in verse 5, wisdom, let him ask of God. Uh, wisdom is the way that trials strengthen you. So, so you're, you're following the pattern now. You're starting to see how James works. It's, it's very obvious. But... This wisdom, this eternal thinking only comes through 
prayer. So tonight, tonight, to the person with wisdom from above, we're going to see that trials are a blessing. To the person with wisdom from above, we're going to see that trials are a blessing. Matter of fact, the title of my message for tonight is, When Christ is All, Christ is Enough. That's the title of tonight's message. When Christ is all you have, Christ is enough. Christ will cause you to rejoice when Christ is all you have. Let's look at the ways trials bless us. Trials bless those who think eternally, but how do they bless? Number one, first way trials bless, trials bring the low high. Trials bring the low high. Verse 9, you see that. The brother of humble circumstances is to boast in his high position. Now, there are many ways trials may come into our life, but one of the the classic ways, if not the greatest way, perhaps, the trial will come into your life is through the pressure that comes when money grows scarce, when resources are lacking. Money is security. Uh, When security in your life is threatened, when your security is threatened, your faith will be shown, won't it? When, when 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 the piggy bank is low, your faith will be revealed. But it doesn't necessarily mean that this is only a trial for the rich. Uh, Both the rich and the poor are tried by money in their life. I I would point you to where Pastor Steve was on Sunday. Proverbs 30, verse 7 says, Two things I have asked of you. Do not withhold from me before I die. Keep worthlessness and every false word far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is Yahweh? Or lest I be impoverished and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Notice, the rich, the the full, are tried by arrogance, by pride. Who needs Yahweh? Who is Yahweh? But notice also the impoverished, they are tried by a lack of money. They are tried through lust, through greed, through envy. Man, if only I had more money or more stuff, I wouldn't be in this hard circumstance. And then they profane the name of the Lord. Notice who James is addressing here in James 1. The brother of humble circumstances. Literally, the brother, the lowly one. And so first we've got a, a noun, the brother, and then we've got an adjective modifying that noun, the lowly one. He is described as lowly. And the basic idea of lowly is, is to, be, to be, you know, unable to cope with your circumstances on your own, to be unable to control your life. You could even say you are poor, um, for sure, and in this context it probably means poor financially, but, but the word conveys this idea of being despised. Nobody wants to be lowly. No one wants to be dependent. Nobody, nobody wants to be unable to take control and to protect themselves. Nobody wants that. We, we could say similarly, like, nobody wants to be uh, known as, you know, plain. Nobody wants to be known as, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks. Nobody wants to know, be known as that person that, you know, is in low income. Nobody wants to be known as somebody who's down and out. Nobody wants to be known as someone who's, you know, survives, you know, hand to mouth, those kinds of things. And, and in the Greek world, in the Greek concept, to be lowly was to be despised. Nobody wanted to be lowly. Because there was, there was a certain difficulty of life when you were lowly. 
But James is, is, is suggesting here that many people in his congregation were of humble circumstances. They were lowly. And I'll just remind you, because context is key, context gives, gives this whole entire passage grip, if you think about it. Remember who he is talking to. He's talking to Jewish Christians who are in humble circumstances because, remember why they're in humble circumstances? Probably because they have done something right. Because they have chosen to follow Jesus, and now they are suffering for righteousness' sake. And and, and it suggests to me they wouldn't be in humble circumstances, at least not to this degree, if they wouldn't have followed Jesus. But now because they have followed Jesus, they are in humble circumstances. Maybe not all of them, but for sure, following Jesus has caused this group of Christians to be scattered. And when you're scattered, you don't have your normal securities that you used to have. You don't have your home or something like that. You don't have a, a regular job. You have humble circumstances. Remember, these Jewish Christians were probably of humble circumstances because they were Christians. And following Jesus brought trouble into their life. Their faith had thrust humble circumstances on them. But notice the surprise command given to the lowly brother, the the one of humble circumstances. What does James tell them in verse 9? He tells them to boast. Very interesting word. It's a a present command, which has this idea of begin to boast and continue to boast. Start boasting and don't stop boasting. Continue to boast. Keep boasting. What does boast mean? That's usually a word that we think of as wrong, as bad, as, as negative, and it usually is negative, but it really is a little neutral. It all depends on what you're boasting in, I suppose, but it means to take pride in something. It means to glory in something. It means to have joy in something. And, and here we could define it like this. It means, because boasting kind of has this verbal sense to it, it means to loudly, loudly profess to anyone who will hear that this belongs to you. That's what boasting is. This belongs to me. I have this. That's what boasting is. This is mine. I own this. The lowly brother is to boast in something. But what is he to boast in? It's a surprise, isn't it? He is to boast in his high position. Notice the kind of the play on the picture there, right? He is low, but he is to boast and take joy in his highness, his high position. And you, if you're lowly, if you are of humble circumstances in life, and a believer, you should think that you are actually presently very high in your position. And this is what we see in James 2, verse 5, by the way. Listen, my brothers, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Notice this. Those who are low, God has chosen to be high. He's chosen them to be rich in faith. You could say it like this. Only when you are low can you really be rich in faith. Can you really find true spiritual treasure? But remember, this, this, this exaltation isn't just promised to anyone. And it's definitely not promised to just anybody who's poor, who doesn't have money. No, this exaltation comes to those who are not only just poor physically, but see themselves as poor spiritually. 
This is, this is kind of James kind of picking up on Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not just blessed are you if you're poor, but it's blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you have nothing to offer to God spiritually. That actually gives you the right kind of heart to receive the gospel. The gospel only comes to the heart that first knows its profound need, its profound inability, its profound weakness. That's the only heart that the gospel comes to. The the gospel is good news to those who know they have nothing to offer to God to claim his righteousness before him. Tremendous news to them. But but notice this. James is talking to brothers, though. He is talking to brothers, though, not just any poor people, but brothers who are of humble circumstances. Why? Because their earthly, physical trials have this ability to reveal their true spiritual treasures. That's what he's saying to them. Hey, your earthly, physical poverty is actually revealing to you, it has the ability to reveal to you your true, lasting, eternal treasure, if you'll let it. If you will boast in your high position, boast in the eternal treasure that you have in Christ, your earthly weakness, your earthly humble circumstances can be used by God to cause you to increase joy for eternity. It reminds me of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice, the believers that are going undergoing intense trials and difficulties and maybe earthly humble circumstances should rejoice in their inter- eternal inheritance that what it doesn't fade it doesn't crumble it doesn't get stolen it doesn't get lost it doesn't rust because it's kept by the power of god for his people right your physical Financial trouble can actually cause you to rejoice all the more in God. Or you could look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Well, we look not on the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What do believers think about? How do they think eternally when their temporary tent, their earthly body, is falling down, is decaying? is deteriorating. They 
shoot their mind and their heart forward and they remember the building of God that is forever, permanent, fixed in the heavens. Or you could look over at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Moses. When he had grown up, he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, regarding the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. How could he do this? How could he willingly endure the reproach of being called the people of God? It says in chapter 11, in chapter 11, verse 26, for he was looking forward to the reward. It also says in chapter 11, verse 13, all these died in faith, having received the promises, but uh, without having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. I love that. This is what faith does. Faith looks forward. It welcomes something from a distance. It doesn't it doesn't just evaluate your circumstances based on your circumstances. It evaluates your circumstances based on the eternal future of God. That is what earthly physical trials do. They cause you to say this world stinks. And the world to come is glorious and sweet and precious to me. That's why the humble brother, the brother of humble circumstances, boasts even in his high position or in her high position. Why? Because regardless of what they're humbled by, whether it's pain or worry or anxiety or fear, they know the one that gives them the absence of pain, worry, and fear eternally, where pain and tears are no more, where eternally worry and anxiety will be removed. That is what they look forward to. And they boast through their humble circumstances in their eternal position. When trials humble you, think about this. They give you an opportunity to boast in spiritual security. And that is a glorious thing for God's people. But let's look at the second way trials bless. The second way trials bless. Trials bless because trials bend the high low. Trials bend the high low. Going back to James chapter 1, verse 10. And the rich man is to boast in his humiliation. Right there, just stop there. Rich, probably here, referring to someone who is materially rich. We've got a contrast between the poor and the rich. And meaning, if you're rich, you have more than enough resources to cope and comfort yourself through this fallen world. The, the poor one doesn't have resources to cope as well, but the rich do have plenty of resources to kind of handle the, the, the evil of the fallen world. And, and it's good to remember that, biblically speaking, to be rich means that you have provisions for more than just one day. That's biblically what rich means, according to our pastor. And, and really, poverty, to be poor, biblically, is something that none of you actually face. I'll, I'll just give you, I'll just give you a, a, quick, 
uh, illustration of what actual poverty looks like in the world. According to the World Bank, extreme poverty means you live on less than $2.15 a day. $2.15 a day. That is the global poverty line. What is the poverty line in America? By contrast, it is that you have to live on less than $56 a day. You, your yearly income is less than $14,580. That, that puts you below poverty. So basically, all that's saying is anybody who's poor here in America is actually pretty rich globally, technically. And, and that, that means that, that you, young one, are probably not poor. So really, your, the application you should take is probably not to point number one, but you really should be thinking about this point, point number two, in how trials actually bend low the high. Trials have a purpose for the high, for the rich, and that's to bend them low. Let's return to James. But, but let's, let's just be mindful of what James also says about the rich. In, in James chapter 2, verse uh, 1 through 3, you could say, uh, the, uh, the rich are seen as people that get special favor, special treatment in the church setting. Um, chapter 4 uh, 13 through 16, the, the rich are seen as these people that are boasting and are arrogant in the future. Chapter 5, verse 3, they're able to store up treasure, right? They have more money than just for one day. In chapter 2, verse 6, they are even seen as often the oppressors of the poor. Now, this is the rich in general. There seems to be specific rich people in James as well, because clearly James is addressing the rich. Not all of the rich are unbelievers, in other words. Some of the rich that James is talking to, not a lot, but some of the rich are actually brothers. And this is how I would translate it, actually. We see the brother of humble circumstances, and now we're seeing the brother, the rich one. You could say it like that. That's kind of how the grammar kind of works. It's like first he's talking about the humble brother, and now he's talking about the rich one. And I get that particularly uh, because, I mean, theologically, I know that there are rich believers. The, the New Testament addresses rich believers. And to be rich doesn't necessarily make you a sinner. And I also believe that, once again, James is addressing rich people here. But, but I would also say that it's very clear that James is addressing believers that are rich here because he is commanding them to do something that is absolutely extraordinary and that you wouldn't command unbelievers to do. He is commanding them to see the blessing in their trials. Look, the rich, according to James, verse 10, are to anticipate their humiliation. They're to anticipate this humbling event, trials that will bring them low. Matter of fact, remember that word, the brother of humble circumstances? This is the same word that's essentially used here. The rich is to boast. Now, it's supplying the verb from verse 9. That's another reason why I think this is a rich brother. But anyway, uh, verse 10, the rich man is to boast in his humiliation, in being brought low, in being bent low. That is what the rich man, the rich brother, is to boast in. When? When are they bent low? How are they going to be bent low? Uh, James, I would say, makes the case. He makes the case that by the nature of life on a fallen planet, everyone, all the rich, will be brought low at some point in this life. Notice how he makes this case. Because, he says in verse 10, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. The rich 
will be humiliated by the natural turn of events that is life. And this is actually a very common image in the Bible to talk about something that fades, something that looks valuable, but in the end is not valuable. So, for example, you look over in Psalm 49. Psalm 49, verse 16 says this, Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will not take any of it. His glory will not descend after him. In other words, the rich are like grass. They'll look glorious for a season, but ultimately they can't take any of their glory with them. They will eventually fail and falter and fade. All the wealthy, you know, you could say Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, all of those people ultimately will be humbled by the natural turn of events, which is life. They will be humbled, and in their death they will be brought low, and in being brought low, they will not take anything with them to death. Regardless of what the pharaohs of old used to think about how they could take things with them, nobody takes anything with them. That's what Psalm 49.16 says. You cannot take it with you. Matter of fact, ultimately, ultimately, anything that you think will will be of value to you in the afterlife, will probably be ultimately worthless to you if you count on it. There's this story that I was reading about the Titanic. The Titanic, and apparently there were many, uh, there, were, there were 11 millionaires that were on board the Titanic and perhaps went down with the Titanic. There was this one man who was very rich. His name was Major A.H. Um, uh, Puchin, I think that's his name. He lost, he left behind... $200,000, which is a lot more in today's currency, $200,000 on the Titanic went it down. He had it in like money, jewelry, and like stocks for his kids. He left it all behind on the Titanic and let it sink with the ship. And he says this about his money. Money seemed a mockery at the time. I picked up three oranges instead. When, when you're dying, money doesn't matter in other words. When you are about to die, you will leave behind your money, and you know it, and it doesn't matter to you. By the way, he also lied about his identity. He didn't refer to himself as the millionaire. He actually pretended to be a lowly shipman so he could get on a ship and get out of there. All that mattered was being lowly. All that mattered to him was having nothing, because he knew he couldn't escape death any other way. Uh, that's, that's basically the rich. They will be like the grass. They will come to the natural end of things. But there's another description from this image of the rich, and it comes from Isaiah 40, and perhaps you know it. You, you've heard this verse before. Isaiah 40, verse 6 says this, Call out, uh, then he answered, What shall I call out? And then this is what Yahweh says, All flesh is grass. And all its loving kindness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Notice this. Not only are all the rich like grass, but this is more uncomfortable to you. Everyone is like grass in the Bible's mind, right? All flesh is like grass. All humans are ultimately frail, humble by nature, in other words, riches don't increase your eternal security, yes. But also, your poverty will not increase your security either. Because all flesh is like what? Grass. 
All flesh is by nature weak, transitory, uh, to be humbled, because you are by nature humble. You're just grass. Uh, hashtag C, uh, Jaron Wentworth summer camp sermon. You are by nature humble. And you will be blowed on. And therefore, look at that, turning back to, to James. Therefore, James says to the rich brothers that they ought to begin and continue to boast in their what? Ultimate humiliation. The, the fact that they will be humble, they will be brought low, and nothing that they possess will be of any value to them. They should be boasting in the knowledge that they will soon have nothing. What does that mean? What does it mean to boast in humiliation? Here, let me try to explain it to you. In other words, if, if you have much, you should rejoice in the trials that bring you low, that humble you, that remind you of your nature because they show you your nature, your natural spiritual condition. Let me say that again. You should rejoice in trials that bring you low because those trials are showing you what you're really going to experience in a few short years. Every time a trial comes your way, you should say, and this is what I ultimately am, weak, humble. Trials, in other words, are a gift of God, if you can see it. Trials are a gift of God to the rich among his people. Trials are to keep his people from overly trusting in their riches. Trials are God's little way of reminding you that these things on earth don't matter. Your life is a vapor. Trials are a gift from God. By the way, that's why Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. He was what? Thinking eternally. I am ultimately a very humble thing. If you are rich, in other words, you should live today for what is of real eternal value. If you, if you are rich today, you should live today for what you will be unashamed about in your death. That's what you should live for today. You should rejoice in the thought that one day you will stand before God with nothing but Christ. If that can be your joy in trials, you can boast in your trials because you can boast in your ultimate humiliation. One day, all I will have is Christ and God will accept me through Christ. There's another story I was reading while I was studying. It's kind of a crazy story, actually. I looked it up in the ancient news articles just to figure out what actually happened. Apparently... A ship was on its way from Liverpool to New York, and on its journey, it crashed into another ship out of Sweden, and this Swedish ship had 206 persons on board, and 172 of its passengers never made their way to the lifeboats. Only 34 people survived out of 206 passengers. How come so few survived? It said in the accounts of the other ship that all of those 172 passengers, the first thing they did as the boat started to sink, and by the way, this Swedish ship apparently sunk in 30 minutes, 
the, the, the first thing they did was strap their silver and their gold onto their belts. If I'm going to go out, uh, maybe they were, you know, like they were trying to get to America. They're starting off a new life. I don't want to be poor in this new world. If, if I'm going to get out of this ship, I'm going to take everything I've got with me. And they never even made it to the top of the waves because their money bags pulled them down. In the end, they lost their life and their gold, all in one fell swoop. And that's kind of a picture of today. If you live for riches today, they will ultimately drag you down into death. And here's the point. For the believer with wealth, once again, for the believer with wealth, trials may be the very rescue mission of God to deliver you from your hope and dependence on riches. Trials may be the very thing God uses to free you from the trust of this world. And then and ultimately you will find trials to be a cause as well as the poor man to boast in the future. Boast in your humiliation when you have nothing. But this leads us to our, our final way the trials bless. Our final way the trials bless. Try to get through this fast. Number one, they, they bring the low high, but then they also bend the high low. But third, trials break the grip of worldly wisdom. Trials break the grip of worldly wisdom. Um, by the way, this could also be um, called uh, trials cause you to uh, say all joy to to trials. And in other words, uh, what does worldly wisdom value? Worldly wisdom, what does it value? What does our world value today? It values being strong. It values being beautiful. It values being rich. It values being wise in the world's eyes. It values all of these external things. It, it values being the flower of the grass. Beautiful. Even though it's passing for a moment, that's all it cares about. There have been how many years have I been alive? 37? There have been 37 most beautiful men on earth. Because they only ever last for one year. Always. This is what the world values. They don't care about what's lasting. They care about the now. Worldly wisdom says, attach yourself, therefore, to the most rich and powerful, and there you will find security. Um, kind of like, you know, get close to them, and maybe they'll give you some of their security for for you, worldly wisdom demands you uh, get yourself a life where you can get and possess anything you've wanted. That's the kind of life for me where I can just do whatever I want, have whatever I want at any moment that I want. That is worldly wisdom. You should pursue everything you want, and anyone who tells you you shouldn't want something is wrong, is evil. Worldly wisdom also demands that God bend low to every wish that you have. That's what worldly wisdom demands. Matter of fact, if God doesn't do that, if God doesn't do everything that I think he should do, he must be what? Evil. He must be the bad guy. Because he's not letting me have everything I want. By the way, side note, the newest Disney princess movie is just filled with this sorts of wisdom. I don't know if you at all heard about it, but apparently it's coming out in the future. It's called Wish. And basically the idea of this is there is a, a king of the land who grants wishes. But the princess, 
the princess figures out that he's not granting wishes to everybody who wants a wish. Therefore, he is the bad guy, the evil guy, because he's not giving everybody their wish. And the true God is everyone getting their wish, right? That's worldly wisdom, though. I should get whatever I want. And anyone who says otherwise is evil. That's worldly wisdom. Matter of fact, this is a heart that exalts itself against God and is an enemy of God. You see that in 4.4 of James, right? They are an enemy of God. In 4.6, they are opposed by God himself. They are at war with God. Worldly wisdom puts you at odds with God. But trials, trials and troubles, they break the grip of worldly wisdom. How do they do this? Because they show how very grass-like the world really is. They show the world for what it really is like. This world and its dreams and its passions are like grass, and they will be gone, and they will be of no value to me in a few short years. Only, only Christ will be of value to me. Chapter 1, verse 11, I believe... This, this verse actually reveals the, the horrifying end of the rich man who did not make the, the Lord God his treasure. So this is perhaps a different rich man than in chapter 10. He's using this as kind of an analogy and as a description of why you should boast in your humiliation. Because if you don't boast in your humiliation, this is how you will end. Verse 11, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. The rich man, notice the descriptive language there, in the midst of his pursuits. It's, it's as, as, as if it's saying, in the midst of his, of his frantic efforts for security, in the midst of his smug attitude towards God, he will perish. He will pass away. There is not, an, there is not a rich man in God who has any, or sorry, there's not a rich man in this world without God who has any ultimate value. Worldly wisdom actually leads you to eternal poverty. You will be devastated. There's this fun little quote about what money will buy. Ready for this? Watch this. Money will buy a bed but not sleep, books but not brains, food but not an appetite, Finery, but not beauty, a house, but not a home, medicine, but not health, luxuries, but not culture, amusement, but not happiness, a crucifix, but not a savior, a church pew, but not heaven. Money will buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy you anything of actual value. And that is what this rich man here is in the midst of his pursuits. I bought a lot of things, but all of them are worthless to me because I did not find God and Christ in the end. Just think about this. There will soon come a day, young one, there will soon come a day when everything but genuine faith in Christ will be worthless. Where everything other than genuine faith in Christ will be as the silver and the gold on those belts that are dragging you under and found worthless. There will come a day when nothing but Christ will matter. And being humiliated in nothing but him will be of infinite treasure. Have you found that treasure, though? 
your only joy and your only boast in that day will be Christ and Christ alone. And you should boast today in nothing but Christ for that reason. You, you should also let that sort of boasting heart lead you to loosely hold to this world and these things and the things that this world has to offer and be outrageously generous because nothing but Christ ultimately matters. And you should also, rich one, rejoice in the circumstances that bring you low. Why? Because. Because. When you are brought low, you are brought high. You see the world as it truly is. And you find trials to be a gracious gift from God, showing you how things really are and giving you even eternal vision. That is what trials do. That's why you should boast in them. But, oh, one more thing. But how can you view trials this way? How? Only, only through prayer. Only through prayer do you think eternally. Only through prayer are trials a joy. Only through prayer do trials strengthen your faith. And that's why I'm urging you. Pursue prayer. Pursue eternal mindedness this month. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for um, this evening. We've been able to share it together. I pray that these kids would be uh, moved through eternity to, to value the things of this world less and to value you and your infinite worth more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.